0: A survey was done about the source of stress in people's lives. The number one thing that causes stress in life, in your notes, the number one source of stress is conflict in relationships. And the closer a person gets to you, the more conflict there is possible in that relationship. So therefore, marriage could possibly be the most stressful thing in your life because they are the people closest to you, your spouse, a husband, a wife. Rarely do marriages cave in because of external pressures alone. There are always internal pressures, conflict in the relationship. One guy said, my wife and I got married, and it went through three stages in your notes. Our marriage started out, number one, as an ideal. It was an ideal. Then it quickly came, number two, an ordeal. And then number three, I was looking for a new deal. Another guy said, I was married by a justice of the peace. And since then, I have neither justice nor peace. There are three great stresses in marriage in your notes. Three stresses in marriage are, number one, the lack of consideration. Number two is the lack of communication. And number three, the lack of commitment. And the good news is that you can overcome these. Internal stresses are all of your choice. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, how to overcome those very areas of stresses. So we look at three steps for a stable marriage. Step number one in your notes, be considerate of others. Yeah, be considerate of the other person. Look at Ephesians 5, 33, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So husbands, love your wife just as much as you love yourself. And then wives, respect your husband. So the first step is to act lovingly toward each other. You treat each other with respect. You give each other dignity. So don't be concerned about your just own needs and your own rights. Now it's really quite amazing how faultless and inconsiderate we are of the very people we love the most. We often don't think our change in plans will affect the plans and schedules of our mate. Or at times we are insensitive to their needs. See, we do not feel that way they are and so we don't think the other people's feelings are very valid. Why would anyone think like that? But in your notes, at times we are inconsiderate of our mate and we do it by trying to change them. We try to change our mate into our image. And that is being in, con, not being considerate. See, after we get married, then I'm going to change them, we say. And we set out on a beautiful personal development plan for our mate. And we act like a coach. It's for your own good, you know, that we say. That's being inconsiderate of your mate. How you can you become more considerate? I've noted two things you can do to be more considerate of your mate. Number one, you can in your notes accept each other's differences. When I do marriage, pre-marriage counseling, I get a renewed understanding that God has a real sense of humor. You may ask, how do you know God has a sense of humor? I'm glad you asked. God puts the exact opposites together in marriages. So in your notes, opposites attract. And one of you is an early riser. The other one is likes to hibernate until noon. One of you is impulsive and daring. The other is cautious and reserved. One of you loves to spend money. The other is a tightwad. One of you is very romantic. The other is a dud. One of you is always on time. You are punctual. The other is always late. One of you loves to talk and you love to tell stories. The other is quiet and reserved. And the reaction of these opposites together is that differences in your notes. Differences can bring potential or it can bring pressures. Differences can add richness and bring potential to your relationship. Or it can cause friction and add pressure to your relationship. Read Romans 15, verse 7 together out loud. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It says there that you are to accept other people, and that includes your mate. See, differences themselves are not wrong. They're just different. If two people agree on everything... I've often said that one of them is not necessary. Differences give balance to marriage. So Paul says that we are to be considerate, number one, by accepting each other's differences. And then number two, be nice to each other. Yes, a note, a phone call, a courtesy, a kindness. In your notes, it's those little things that count. Little things count. They build the right kind of attitude so you'll be nice to each other. In your notes, I think that if there were more courting in marriage, there would be fewer marriages in court. It's the little things that make a difference. Too often when you get married, you become very complacent. During the engagement, you're on your best behavior. You do nice things for each other. You think of each other all the time. Like the newlywed when they pulled into that motel that first night. And she says, I don't want to be embarrassed, so when we go in, let's just act as if we've been married for a long time. The husband said, okay, you carry the bags. That's the way we become at times. Just do not feel like respecting my husband. I don't feel like loving my wife. Then in your notes, you act. You act your way into feeling when you don't feel like acting. I've said this before. It's easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. Feelings will follow your actions. If you act kind, then you're going to feel kind. Now the root of every marriage problem I've noted in your notes, the root problem of every marriage is selfishness. The foundation of every marriage problem is selfishness. When do I when I want to do what I want to do and when I want to do it? And it's always what's best for me. A person will come into my office and say, we're just, I think, incompatible now. I really want to say, no, you're just selfish. Both are refusing to give in. Both are refusing to compromise. What Paul is saying in your notes. If you want to reach your golden anniversary, then you must keep the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So you replace the me with we. You replace what's best for me to what's best for us. Step number one be considerate of others. Then step number two to have a stable marriage, you communicate in love. Yeah, you communicate in love. Look at Ephesians 4. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will. And all things will grow up unto him who is the head. That is Christ. Now that phrase itself can change more marriages than almost anything else I know. You speak the truth always in love. Why? The second greatest stress in marriage is poor communication or a lack of communication. Over and over I hear, my husband will not talk to me. And when my husband does talk, it's poor communication. The wife said, the only time my husband talks to me is when he wants some food, or sex, or to change the TV channel. So God gives practical communication tips looking at Ephesians chapter 4. He writes, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That this may benefit those who listen. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That's really practical advice for any marriage. He's saying that you don't give in to bitterness. You don't give in to resentments. You don't give in to negative patterns. Because in your notes, Paul is saying, you never get your point across by being cross. You never get your point across effectively by being cross. So you speak the truth in love. Now, the most common mistake that we make in marriage on your notes is we're just too busy fixing the blame we cannot fix the problem. In other words, we're so busy attacking the other person, we cannot work together on the problem. And as long as you are fixing the blame, you cannot fix the problem. So we love, in your notes, we love to accuse and to excuse. Accuse and excuse. We accuse our mates. We try to excuse ourselves. So, Paul says to have a stable marriage, be considerate of the other, communicate in love, then don't give in to blaming. Let me ask do you ever blame your mate? I've included there a little test in your notes about types of blaming. So, number one in your notes, exaggerating. Do you ever exaggerate with those generalities? Statements like, you never do such and such. Or you always do such and such. Or I've told you a million times not to. We just simply exaggerate for impact. Number two is blaming by labeling. And we're good at labeling, at using little sayings for each other. Like, get it yourself, helpless or smooth move, klutzel. We have these little labels that we attack each other with. So the Bible says that is blaming. Number three, the third type of blaming is the historian. Family historians bring up the past. These people have that innate ability to remember every fault, remember every mistake, every wrong thing that was ever said and they file it away, they retain it with razor-sharp clarity that can be recalled at any moment. You know, I've always said, husbands, you don't need to remember your mistakes. There's no need for two people remembering the same things. It's a waste of energy. The fourth kind of blaming, number four, are those loaded questions. A loaded question is when people ask you something that you really cannot answer. They're questions like, can you ever do anything right? Really, how do you answer that? Well, I don't really know. Why can't you act like a human being then? See, Paul's saying, now we're to communicate in love. Now, some of you men are going to be saying at this time, Pastor, give it to my spouse with this next section. Lay it on her about that word submission. In this section, there are three verses. 51 words for what wives are to be doing. But there are nine verses for a man. 155 words what men are to be doing. Look at Ephesians 5 where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. So in your notes, husbands, you to treat your wives just like Jesus treats the church. That's a very significant responsibility because Jesus put the church into first place in his life. Jesus did everything to meet the church's needs, even giving his life and death on the cross. So husbands, you want to be the leader in your family and treat your wife like Jesus treats the church. The leader in the Bible is one who is one serving and not the one who is being served. The husband is not the dictator, but the one who gives everything to serve and to meet the needs of his spouse and his family. If that were really the case, then Paul's words to wives, to really to follow their husband's leadership, would meet no reluctance. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. See, in your notes, submission means just to be like Jesus, And Jesus willingly submitted to the will of the Heavenly Father. You see, submit does not mean doormat. It does not mean slave. It means simply to be like Jesus. Jesus is equal to God, the Father. Yet he willingly came to earth to suffer and die on the cross, to fulfill God's plan for the salvation of the world. Jesus became in very nature a servant in human likeness, and he gave his life to serve mankind. Some of you are saying, but you don't know, my wife is a real jerk. Or my husband is a real jerk. How do you ever change someone like that? Well, in your notes, you change them. By treating them the way you want them to be. You want them to be loving, then you treat them in a loving way. You want your kids to be honest, then you treat them as if you trust them. If you talk about negative things only, you reinforce the negative things. Treat them the way that you want them to be. So be considerate. Communicate. Then step number three. Commit yourself to one another. In order to have a stable marriage, commit yourself to one another. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. See, the Bible is talking about that commitment of marriage. This is a quote from the Old Testament where God spoke to Adam and to Eve. In the Hebrew, he says, be united, meaning cleave. Be united was cleaving. Be welded together like two pieces of steel when welded together are in essence stronger than the individual pieces alone. So God is here talking about commitment. In your notes, God intends for marriage to be permanent. It's not just a piece of paper. It's not a, it is a vow before our God. Commit yourselves to one another. So in conclusion, how do you deal with normal stress? How do you deal with those differences in marriage? In your notes, first of all, two ways to handle. Number one, throw away the parachute. Now you must throw away the parachute, when you feel that you can always bail out. See, in an airplane, if you throw away the parachute, then you have to finish the journey. There's no bailing out. And marriage is not as long as we both are feeling like we're loving. It's not. I'm going to just give it my best shot. If you are not going to bail out, then you work on changing yourself. And you pray that God would change your mate. Settle that commitment issue first. Number two, you concentrate on developing your spiritual life. Look at Psalm 127, verse 1. Please read it with me together out loud. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. You make God the center of your marriage. In Psychology Today magazine, they noted noted that one out of every two marriages today end in divorce. But in a relationship where both believe in Jesus, both attend church regularly, both pray for each other, the divorce rate is 1%. Out of every 1,105, that's the difference Jesus makes in a marriage. Because Jesus is the glue that strengthens the home. In your notes, it takes three to make a marriage. And using the triangle in your notes, it takes a Christian man and a Christian woman and God to so be considerate of others, communicate in love, commit yourselves to one another. Amen.